podcast world what's up chad back at you another episode of the foul life podcast i'm excited as heck about this one it was 2002 i was approached by a company out of georgia that's in the southeastern part of the united states for all of you that are not familiar with georgia it is an awesome state and there's a lot of good country music that comes out of there a lot of good culture a lot of good food a lot of good agriculture a lot of good fishing And most importantly to me over the last 20 years of my life is the companies that I've been able to call my family and associate with down there. And the one that I'm with today has, I've been a part of their family and they've been a part of me and my growth in this industry since the year 2002, which makes it officially 18 years to the day I've been part of the Realtree family. Mr. Bill Jordan has built the Realtree culture, family, friends in the outdoors, and I contribute to them and attribute to them that they are literally the most inspirational and the most influential company and brand in the hunting industry. And that's my opinion. Some would argue that, but they're not going to win an argument against me. (laughs) And today's guest is a good friend of mine, Bill Jordan's son, Tyler Jordan. Tyler, welcome. Man, I've been waiting to to come on here for a long time now. I've been, uh, we've talked about doing this for the last few years. And so I appreciate you having me on here at the NWTF here in Nashville, and it's always good to come here and, and catch up with. It's feel like it's a big family reunion when you get here, doesn't it? I mean, just Isn't, like it's it's exact. I, I can't remember what Waddy called it, but it was like a, a redneck reunion. I think he called it. Yeah, but it is. It's like a big family reunion, huh? Well, you just feel like you're catching up with friends. Here we are in the Honey Break booth, and uh, you know, seeing all of our friends here, hanging out with uh, Nick and T Bone and Michael last night, and. You know, I feel like although Michael, you know, lives only, you know, 20 minutes down the road from us, it's everybody here is just, uh, you know, everybody that walks through these doors are just really passionate outdoorsmen and and love what we do, love the sport of hunting. And uh, you just love to see see everybody come through here. It's just a a fun few days here in Nashville. What does it mean to you, Jordan, of being able to wake up every day and, and just say stuff like you just said, like, Michael Jordan, is, I mean, my, Michael Waddell, which I said that because we were on the news the other day and the news yeah. reporter called him the Michael Jordan of the hunting industry. Yeah, which you is true. Argue it. Which is true. But let's let's start there real quick. Just, you're you're in what? You're 25 years old? 27. 27 yeah, years old. Turned 28 in a few weeks. And Realtree was started in 1986. That's right. It's older than you. Yeah. Yeah. When you grew up, you grew up around, and I'm just going to say some names because I, w- I was at a Hank Jr. concert. And he was telling the story about when he was eight years old, he come home and little Richard was on the couch and, and, and then Willie Nelson was over here. And then all these people were there to hang out with his daddy. Right. And, and I, I kind of, in, in my line of work, I look at people like you and Michael Waddell and Ted and all these guys that are just my heroes. Right. So you're, you're in the same position. You grow, you come out of the womb and you're real tree. You're probably in a real tree toddler suit. And there's guys like Dale Earnhardt Sr. around. There's country music musicians. There's actors. There's tons of athletes. And it had to blow your mind. And, and what I, where I'm going with this, Tyler, is that all these years later, you're 27, it still continues yeah. to blow your mind, huh? Man, I, you know, what's, what's crazy is like growing up for me, I remember, you know, dad, you know, one of his best friends was Chipper Jones, you know, on the Braves. And, uh, and it's like growing up, it was just that was just how life was. It was, you know, growing up with Michael, David Blanton, uh, you know, all these other celebrities in the industry. It's it kind of just becomes a way of uh, you don't know anything different. You know, ever since I was three or four years old, you know, coming up with some of these people in the industry, 
and uh, and, and seeing everybody, they were just like family to me. It's like coming here, you know. It's like I, I don't ever view anybody in a celebrity type light, you know. To me, it's just like we all share the same passion, and that's the outdoors, you know. So. And isn't that cool how it? it that hunting is that common denominator. Like, it's been yeah. my overall theme of the week of like T-Bone was sitting here yesterday with Andy Griggs. Andy yeah. Griggs had a guitar and, and Griggs has had several number one hits and he's telling T-Bone how much inspirational the Bone Collector and Realtree family has been to him yeah. and how much they helped him grow through his different archery tournaments and stuff like that. And you got a superstar country music musician telling us a, a, a country boy that fixes bows in Georgia that's on Bone Collector, how much he looks up to him. Yeah. And there's no celebrity in any of it. Everybody's just humbled by the lifestyle and the culture of being a hunter. Well, I just love it. It's just like Riley Green. You know, Riley and I have become really good friends the last couple of years. And just for somebody like that, that's on his way to stardom, or like a Luke Bryan, you know, those guys just love to hunt and fish. That, that's all it is. I mean, they just, they love the lifestyle. They, they share that common denominator of, you know, being a, an outdoorsman and a hunter. And that's where, you know, you become, and that's where friendships form is through that. And so that's just, uh, it's pretty cool, you know, to see those guys actually kind of, I told Riley the other day, I said, man, what's, what I love about you is like, you just love it. You know, I can tell you just, you, you come across on camera and when I'm with you, he's so in the hunt, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, we'll be setting up somewhere on a deer, but he's, he's looking for the next move to make on a whitetail. You know, we were in Nebraska, and I, just, I was just like, man, that's that's what you want out of people. You don't want people just to be doing it just to do it. He lives that lifestyle and, and is passionate about it and loves it. So Yeah, and I, I get that, too, when I'm around guys that could very easily have somebody, you know, I'll shoot the ducks and you clean them. I'll shoot yeah. the ducks and you cook them. You, I'll do this and you drive me around. And yeah. that, that and, could happen. And that's fine. It's fine. It's fine. But it's cool to see when somebody's like, all in. Let's get the guts out. Let's get the yeah. tenderloins out. Let's get it on the grill. Here's my recipe yeah. for it. And I've seen that in so many of these these guys in the hunting industry that are country music guys or athletes. They're all in. Yeah, but that's cool. It's like Ryan Hurd, you know, our, our mutual friend. We met him a few years ago here, actually, in Nashville. And you would not you would never think that Ryan would be that big of a hunter, but he loves it. Him and his brother, both Zach, I mean, those guys absolutely – I mean, they live that they live that lifestyle of hunting, and so it's cool to see people like that. That uh, that's maybe from the outside you wouldn't think, but like you know, they 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 live it just like we do. So it's cool. What? Give me your opinion on this, and if you don't want to answer it, just say I don't want to answer that. I don't want to talk about that. What about a guy that we know that hunts and loves to wear camo and loves the outdoors and the culture, but doesn't necessarily showcase it? Is it a personal thing and that's okay? Or would you rather see somebody that really believes in it do it and not worry about what could happen with part of their audience or their customer base or their fan base? Because sometimes these guys could potentially face, hey, man, we're right on, a, right on a, you know, the verge of it. I don't want to really show a lot of killing because I don't want to turn somebody off that might be a potential fan. Does that make sense? Yeah, but see, I, I understand it too because, you know, one of my buddies is Pete Alonzo for the Mets. And, like, Pete went hunting with us in Texas here about a month ago. And he shot a really nice deer, and the, and he loves it just as much as anybody that I know. But he also has to deal with that New York media too. You know, he's up there, so I get the aspect that, um, you know, maybe he doesn't want to post something, you know, because the New York media will turn on you in a second. You know, he's a stud up there right now, hit 53 home runs this year. But man, I, I just feel like you know the way the media is right now, and that hunting kind of has a a little bit of a a bad taste in people's mouth you know a little a little bit you know it's just the world we live in um i can understand maybe why you wouldn't make a post like that 
You yeah, know? and I get it too. It's 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 it would be nice that they could do and live their life and support the the cultures that they believe in and not worry about any backlash. Yeah, but we, we just do. It, it, we just live in that culture. And, and, and hunting seems to be one of those ones that people are very, have to be very apprehensive sometime to make, you know, to, to make that decision of, yeah, I'm going to put a picture out there with me holding some ducks. I completely understand it because yeah. even in the hunting industry, you get people that come on and say, hey, that might be a little too distasteful. much. Distasteful. Distasteful yeah. and overboard. I, I, and I, I'm not going to argue with them. I think that there can be a tactful way to take a picture with your bounty and i think sure. that there, i think there should be the time taken to do it right and i do have some issues with the way animals get treated after the harvest is actually Same completed and 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 i see it all the time of you know a live coyote in a snare i don't yeah. need to see that right i believe in predator management i believe in predator control but i also have the utmost respect for a coyote and i'd never want to see them ever suffer put in that way yeah yeah, I just don't yeah or just people to yeah you know there was a video even on uh facebook a while ago there was a, a raccoon in a trap and whoever it was was taunting it and throwing stuff at it when it was you know trapped and man there's just no place for that i mean it, it, it you're doing more damage to our community than you are good and uh you know that's why hunting just those videos that go viral like that that's where we get put in a bad light and you know it doesn't do us any favors for our future you know so um i've heard people say tyler that this is not an entitlement we're not guaranteed of this culture no. it's not it's a it's a privilege and a blessing and we fight for it every day and it's not written into our declaration or our constitution and that's right a lot of people that i've talked to will say it will be a hunter that gets the privilege revoked and that's why we have to work together to spread the positivity and the respect of the resource is a big deal to me now because if we don't do what it takes on the conservation side, which we all know that hunters are the biggest conservationists and the biggest supporters of habitat and they give a lot of financial support to that. But when you talk about a raccoon in a trap and you see that, that is exactly what bends that other side of the teeter-totter. And I don't I don't want to, and I don't we don't need to go down that rabbit hole today because your your career is so exciting to me about I often think about how easy of it is it to make the decision to stay in the family business as Tyler Jordan, where, you know, I know a lot of my friends that have very yeah. successful family businesses and they decided to go another route and do, they, they weren't interested in the family business. Yeah. How easy is it for a Tyler Jordan at 18 years old in high school going to college? We'll talk about Ole Miss and all yeah, that. Yeah. But did you, were you all in from the beginning? Man, I just, I, I never wanted anything else. Like there's never been a thought in my mind that I would ever go do anything else in any, any other industry. Just because I love this, I love the sport. I love what it's given me and my friends and and family. It's given so much back, and uh, you know I just hope I can return that in some way. Whether it be recruiting new hunters for the future, um, you know, making just a positive impact for the next thirty years. You know, Dad has carried that mantle for the first however thirty, um, and I just hope I can, you know, that next generation. I feel like I'm now responsible, kind of coming into my own here in this business here in the last three to four years. Man, whatever you know, Realtree's got a, a you know, a, a lot of power in this industry. I hope we can just do some good, you know, yeah, and, and, and recruit people. But I, man, I, I love this play. I love the sport. Um, it's just why. Well, what, what what besides giving back? What lights your fire the most about working in it? I understand that you're going to get buck fever and yeah. you love the hunt. But why does Tyler Jordan love working? in this relentlessly like you're non-stop you travel more than i do yeah why do you love it so much is it is it mainly the people or what is it it's it's this right here i would say this is number one you know coming back here and seeing all these killing a duck killing a deer is obviously awesome 
that's why we're out there doing it. I mean, there was a there was a stretch this year. I was gone from October fourth all the way to November fifteenth, and I did not come home one day. Say it again, but October fourth to November fifteenth. I was not home one day. Not one. And then I came home for a week. Uh, was gone for a few other days. Came home over Thanksgiving. Uh, then I was gone the day after Thanksgiving. But it's this uh, just the relationships that you have. To me, you know, they're the best friendships I have in the world. Is going to places like Honey Break or going to some of these different outfitters, you know, um, you know, in the U.S. or just people that, like the people that we hunt with the Milk River up there in Montana, like seeing their family, it's really more about going to see them than it is actual hunting. I look forward, I talk about going uh, to there and then leaving there. It's always about, you know, sitting around the dinner table at night, you know, talking to them and, and just catching up and seeing how they've been doing. Like that, that to me is what, uh, is what makes it all worth it. You know, killing a deer and everything is just a bonus. And the other thing that I got it that you'd have to admit, if you if you will, and I would be in this same boat, is that we're going to get into your dad right after this. Being able to see success in the field, turn on the TV, turn on social media, open an outdoor life, a field and stream, and when you see your hard work be paying off for people, results coming from these hunts where this camouflage pattern has revolutionized the way people can hide. It started in 86. Your dad starts this, this mission that it seems to me like here we are over 30 years later and he's not done. He's relentless in the hide. Yeah. And I just love that theory, that marketing of relentless of the hide because that is the most important part of a hunt besides location. We all want to get close. We all want to get close. I, just, to, I can't imagine the, how you and your dad feel when you see a picture of somebody yeah. going, look at what I did with my son. Because of my real tree. And they're wearing yeah. real tree. Well, and that's another thing that I'm really passionate about too, is just the designing of the camouflage pattern. You know, a lot of people don't realize when it goes into making a real tree edge or a real tree timber, real tree edge, for example, dad spent four and a half years working on that pattern. And so people don't see that though, that backstory of, Dad has taken so many different fabrics, um, you know, in polyester and the cotton twill, you know, taking it on different locations throughout the United States and just seeing how it works in certain areas. He did the same thing with Realtree Timber. So he took it to so many different locations, Arkansas, went to Mississippi, um, just, and we, we turkey hunted with it in Georgia before we ever released it. So a lot of people don't see that testing that, that goes into it. You know, they think it's just throwing a bunch of sticking limbs and leaves on a on a you know piece of paper and then see you know just putting it together. But Dad works tirelessly, you know, making that work. And I, I kind of have that same passion too. We're actually going to be coming out with a. I guess I'll spoil it right here. You know, we're, we'll have don't a new, say it. <laughs> a new a new waterfowl pattern. Oh God. For, for for twenty one. And so, uh, you know, but I was, I was a part of that process. I went down there to Arkansas and went to several different places with one of our designers. And I took a lot of different pictures. Well, the background is a picture that I took. I remember when I took the picture, I said, that's going to be part of a pattern. It may not be this one, but it's going to be part of a pattern one day. And I took it back and dad actually used that for his background. And so he laid everything else on top. So really? that was really kind of my first crack at designing a pattern, but I'm really excited. I won't tell you the name of it yet because we're not ready in our marketing, but um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to show the world what that pattern looks like. I can't wait. I'm, I'm proud of it. You're going to like it, I hope. Oh, so. you know I will. <laughs> I, remember, I remember getting the phone call when back in the early 2000s and being offered a, a part of Max 4 and launching that and wearing that all over. And then yeah. all these years later, here we are with, you know, all the edge and the max fives and the yeah. timber. And now you're talking about another one. And it's, 
a lot of people would say, where else, where, where do you go from here? Like, how do you yeah. make, how do you make the Benelli Super Black Eagle two or the one right. better? Yeah. And then how do you make the two better? Yeah. And then they come out of the three and then I'm like, well, how much more do you think you guys can hide us? Yeah. See, it's a little bit of the same way with me too. I remember whenever dad came out with AP and that was back in 2007, he came out with that pattern and then not five years later, he's talking about coming up with another one. And I said, oh my gosh, there's no way he's going to be able to outdo it. There's no way. What? Bay Peak, I think, is really what revolutionized Realtree um, in the 2000s. You know, took us to a different place. And I said, there's no way we can. And then we came out with Extra. And then after, I was like, okay, well, definitely after Extra, there's no way he can come out with another pattern. And then there was Edge. And so Dad just is able to find a way and tinker with it. But that's what makes him, that's what's made Realtree, you know, where it is today. It's just that um, Dad has got a relentless pursuit of perfection when it comes to his camouflage patterns and make them the best they can be. And that's really, I think, what separates us from maybe from the pack is just dad's will and desire to have the best patterns on the market. And, uh, you know, after seeing, you know, several different pattern processes throughout the years, I know what it takes to, to get that done. You know, it's, it's fun though, too, because you take it and you test it, see what works, what doesn't work, get people's opinions. And uh, that to me is fun. I love designing camo, camo patterns with him. It's, it's cool to see. It really is. And I just, it it looks like it would be, I'm going to go a little bit off kilter here. Okay. <clears throat> it, there's almost a sense in this country now that camouflage is saturated, that camouflage is easy to make, that patterns yeah. are easy to design because everybody thinks that they can do it and they really can't. And I'm being just, I'm going to be honest, they can't. And when you when you really look at the science of camouflage, I'm not saying that you need to be, I'll say it, when the conditions are right, you might get away with not uh, the very best hide. But camouflage is built on, with a lot of different scenarios in mind of lighting, shadows, yeah. edges, lines, contours, all of this stuff goes into it. And I just think that it's become like this misnotion in this industry or in our, in our culture of like, Oh man, you can hide in anything or there's so many camos out there. You can just go get whatever you want. And I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that mentality. I think that I really wanted to talk to you about why Realtree has been able to keep evolving for over 30 years and keep designing these patterns that look like the, the outdoors. real outdoors. Yeah. And that's what makes a difference to me is that if I'm going to hide in the outdoors, I want to look like the outdoors. That's and right. there's this weird misnotion now, and I'm not, I'm not going to get into digital camo or any of it. I'm not going to say yeah. it. But there's this weird ideology that that's the outdoors, and it's not. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, you know, uh, I've always thought, too, I was like, man, how hard, you know, it, it feels like to me it would be easy for somebody to come along and make another stick and limb pattern, you know. But uh, there's only been a couple that have actually been able to, you know, stand the test of time and, uh so I think that's when you saw that digital route when people couldn't make, um, you know, make anything else and they couldn't, you know, find the market. You know, we've kind of dominated it for a long, long time. It's just been a, it's been a blessing to have the people we have in there too. Realtree, I, I just feel like we have the best people working in the industry on our team. And that's something that's made dad successful too. He'll be the first one to tell you that is, yeah, that, you know, you got to have all that too, but our marketing, everything that we do on that end and having people like you on our pro staff and, and others too, that to push our patterns, we've just been associated with the right people and good people. You know, that's something that we really pride ourselves on. Has, has dad ever told you how he named it? Yeah. 
you know, he actually, uh, it's really not that cool of a story, but he said he was laying in bed one night. He had been, he had been talking for a couple weeks about what to name it with people. And he had a bunch of, you know, weird names. And he said he was just laying in bed one night. He was like, it's real. It looks like a tree, real tree. And that was it. And that was it. And then he went to the office the next day and said, we're going to call it real tree. And so that's, uh, that's just kind of, what was he doing before that? Well, he had Spartan. He had Spartan. You know, Spartan was a clothing company, and uh, Dad started that out of his out of his. Uh, so his dad had a boat dealership, and so he started making clothes out of the basement of that boat dealership, and so he was putting his camo patterns on there. Well, um, he ended up going to Shot Show in '85, and then Wally Switzer from Walmart came down. He was one of the first ones. His dad had been sending him pictures of the pattern working in different environments. And so Wally says, I'll find you at the SHOT Show. Well, the first day of the SHOT Show, he comes down there at nine o'clock and he said, uh, all right, Bill, you know, we, we want to put Realtree in Walmart, which was obviously huge at the time, still big for us now. But he says, we want to get Realtree in there, but we need, need for you to make us 400,000 pair of pants and 400,000 pair of shirts and, and jackets and stuff. And dad goes, Wally, I can't make you 400, you know, not with the little cut and sew deal that I have. So that's when licensing was born. Realtree's first licensee was Walls Apparel, which I know you remember Walls back then. It was They're still Walls, around. Yeah, still around. Walls was really big back then, though. So Walls was uh, the first partner that, uh, that Realtree had. And then we had gloves, boot companies that followed it in that show. And so that's that's the day that licensing was born. And it's been a good business model for us. You know, Realtree doesn't manufacture anything. That's a misconception of, uh, of everything that, that happens at the office is we make the camouflage patterns, we market it, but we don't make anything in there. So it's kind of a beautiful business model um, if you're a business owner, but it's 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 been good for us. So. Well, I think the I think it's a genius business model. Yeah, 1,500 no, licensees. No inventory. Yeah, no inventory. No, no warehouse. No, like, no warehouse. The only some, warehouse we have is just we have a couple partners that, um, like Coliseum and some other ones that have Realtree branded products, and yeah. so we'll carry some of that in our in our warehouse, and we'll you know have hats in there from Richardson and Outdoor Cap and other companies, but that's that's all we have. So, where where do you, where are you when your dad takes you on your first filmed hunt? Does he are you begging him, or is it just natural? Hey son and father are out now and he's like getting the truck and the cameras were always there i was what year did real tree start filming big bucks and and the, and the first stuff for tnn and all yeah this stuff back in the day? so it started back in 89 83 so, years yeah, after yeah, dad yeah. starts yeah filming. yeah so i was born in uh in 92 and then ever since i was three i mean i've been on i've been on camera with my dad because i get so many comments from people especially when you come to shows like this people say they've been seeing me since i was you know, a foot tall, you know, growing up on camera, walking with my dad through the turkey woods. But that's really where it all started for me, you know. And, and to me, that's why it's, it's really felt no different, you know, coming up, you know, through this industry. Is that I've just been used to it my entire life, like hunting with John Tate and some of those guys, Steve Finch and all them, you know, that they were just our, they were just always with us, you know. So that was, uh, and I killed my first turkey when I was eight. So turkey hunting was really my first love. You know, I, I shot my first deer when I was nine, but turkey hunting I've been doing with my dad since I was three, four years old. And uh, it's, if I had to give it all up for one thing, I love duck hunting too and I love deer hunting. 
But if I had to give it up for one, it would be turkey no hunting. I would. Over whitetail? I would. Over whitetail, I would. I'm not saying that I wouldn't. It's, for, it, it's because of this right here. It's because coming to these shows right here and seeing everybody's, you know, duck hunting. I mean, uh, turkey hunting is a lot like duck hunting, you know, doing with your friends and stuff and family and, and being able to take my little brother with me. And like, my little brother can't sit still. He's 11. So being able to, like, spend time with him and take him in the outdoors and and just kind of run and gun which is what he likes he's got a really a short attention span for right now that's the reason why i love it and there's something just to this day cool to me seeing a turkey come running into a to a decoy and it just it's the coolest it's the coolest experience in the world in my opinion when it comes to hunting what I kind of it. pressure was on tyler jordan in all these instances as the founder's son you are now carrying a torch and you have a great team there's you're not the boss you no. have there's people above you i'm not trying to paint that picture that you're just coming in here but you're becoming the face of realtree you're hunting you're hosting spring thunder you're hosting yeah. a lot of the deer hunts you're traveling is there a certain amount of pressure that Miss, mr bill expects out of his firstborn or is it more just like go be you and let it come but i to me like how disciplined was it how much pressure is there your dad's competitive your dad's relentless. Your yeah. dad carries a lot of a lot of um, you know just a lot of different balls in the air. He's he's been doing this a long time. Do you feel a pressure, or was there ever pressure put on you? Yeah, you know, dad has never put pressure on me. That's something he's been really good about with me. Is never putting that bigger pressure on me. You know, I think the pressure really came from putting it on myself. You know, there was a while even like going off to school and everything. So I went to Columbus State. Um, you know, my freshman year right, of college. And then after my first year, I went today. to Ole Miss. And, uh, you know, the reason why I decided to go to Ole Miss, I, that's where I really wanted to be. But I was actually, the reason why I started at Columbus State was to, to start working in the family business right away. And, um, you know, I said, you know what, I need to go be, I need to go be a kid for a little while. I'm putting too much pressure on myself. I'm 21 years old. I don't need to start working, you know, right away. But I always felt the pressure of never living up to that expectation that I put on myself. You know, Dad always wanted me to do what I wanted to do. You know, if I didn't work in the family business, if I didn't work at Realtree, Dad would have been okay with that. There's nothing else I wanted to do. But, um, you know, I always thought, man, Dad's got such a an eye for business and marketing he's a marketing genius and he's also really good at making these patterns i do have a passion for it but i was like i don't know if i could if i could do it as good as my dad does you know but kind of the last few years coming into my own in this business and having a better understanding for it you know uh four or five years ago i probably would have been a lot shyer than i am now you know kind of embracing that role but you know his dad's kind of taken a few steps back with the kids and and, and doing more with them and you know he deserves it you know he just turned 70 back in December um, you know I, I've, I've embraced that and I've and it's it's been a it's been really good here the last couple of years working full-time going to the office every day learning different parts of the business figuring out where I can help out um, but you know that pressure I think has always has always been there for me but I've just kind of I've learned how to just not worry about it as much. I just do the best I can with what I have, you know, with what I have, and um, try to do things in the best interest of Realtree. But yeah, do you um, do you ever put pressure on yourself still with your on-camera personality? Of is it something that's coming natural now? As far as yeah. when you were shy five years ago, 
Do you yeah. have to really wake up in the morning and do jumping jacks and yoga and stretch out to get ready? <laughs> or are you just, all, are you just, is it natural now? I feel like I'm just old now. I mean, I just, yeah, I, mean, I feel like it's come a lot easier here in the last few years. You know, uh, I've grown up in front of the camera, so I really, it's nothing new to me. But I've always, I think where I've always maybe been shy is like, I just always, I feel like I'm, I've lived in my dad's shadow for a long time, which it carries a big weight. You know, he's, he's a, he's a big personality in general. And a, and a big figure in this industry, but um, you know, I'm like, I've, I've just, I'm Tyler, you know, for the longest time. You know, people, some people, a lot of people know who I am, but they're like, it shows. Oh man, uh, you're Bill's boy, you know. But like, I, I've realized I don't, I can't worry about that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm Tyler Jordan. And, what about, what about everybody else that gets to do this because of your dad? You know, putting them in you know, helping support them and get the, I mean, Michael Waddell has admitted, I'm nothing without Realtree. I got my start Realtree. Nick yeah. Munt, T-Bone Turner was asked to do a skit with Jeff Foxworthy. He didn't, yeah. even, he was never called T-Bone one day in his life. Yeah. And he got called that by a Realtree <laughs> guy on the set that day. Let's just call you T-Bone. That's redneck enough, but Travis ain't going to work. All these guys are out there and they're good. They're solid. They're, you got, they're, you got a lot of good people that are wearing this brand. I mean, Kip is arguably like, because he's, clever coming, yeah, he's pretty he strong. He's the, next, he's the next Michael, I think. Michael's the best of all time. I don't know if there'll ever be another Waddell, but Kip is there very won't. clever. There but won't. The, the lifestyle that Waddy did, we talked about the other night on this podcast. I was just like, rock star, like yeah. literally. But What a he, blessing that was to have Michael. I mean, I know we, everybody knows that, but like, how crazy was it? Dad, I think, ran into him here. He ran into Edwin. Had a turkey you know, ran in, He did. He ran into uh, Michael's dad. And I'm sure Michael probably told you this story, but Michael's dad, he said, man, Michael, this, you know, he was 18 at the time. He said, Bill, he wants to do nothing but hunt. That's all he wants to do. And so dad said, let him go to school, you know, then we'll, we'll look at it. But Michael knew what he wanted to do from the very beginning. You know, but Michael had a very clear picture um, of who he wanted to be in this industry. And uh, man, what a, what a blessing it was to find a Michael Waddell for dad and them. And so that took a lot of the pressure off dad in the early days you know, to kind of help grow this business, um, you know, even during the prime, because those TNN days were magical. You know, it was yeah. 30 million households. And um, so having a Michael to kind of carry that weight for, for Realtree, you know, back then was a blessing for dad too. So. And so do you look at, are you ever in the mindset of where you compare yourself to the guys that you grew up watching and meant, and, and they were mentoring you and yeah. you were idolizing Michael and yeah. you were, you, uh, you had to have. You had to be yeah. like, wow, man, these guys are awesome. Do you do you have pressure now as a TV host to where how how much pressure is there? Not pressure, but do you critique yourself on every performance oh, yeah. from the camera you do? Oh yeah, I watch all the episodes back. Like that's something I didn't do, you know, for the longest time. But I've learned now that I just, I mean, I gotta, I can't let that worry me. I'll go, I'll go back and watch a Spring Thunder episode or Whitetail TV or Real Tree Outdoors, and I'll be like, I could have done, I could have explained that a lot better. Than what I did, you know, in a television um, show, you know, you only have 22 minutes to kind of tell that full story when you may have been somewhere for three weeks. But that's what I love about this digital show now. And, you know, we're kind of going that direction with 365 is now you can tell a, a bigger picture, you know, like Bill Winky. I think that's what's made him so successful is, uh, you know, people can follow along every scene. And I'll always get a bad rep and not a bad rep, but in this industry, and, uh, and, and NASCAR is like this too. You know, I, I was always uh, very self-aware that, I mean, I've been very blessed. 
I mean, I've come, you know, from one of the best families in the, in the outdoor industry. You know, my dad has given me a lot, a lot of opportunity. But, you know, a lot of people still don't understand, though, how hard we work every day, too. You know, I mean, we travel a lot. Some, 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 oh, you're all right. Yeah, it's, it, it's lonely. It's, it can it, be. It can be lonely. It can be, it can be, you know, you get out on the road and you're alone, you're traveling, you're away from home. But it's, when people watch a Realtree Outdoor Show and Outdoor Channel, they see just the best, yeah. right? They, you see the best of, you know, I was in Nebraska for, for three and a half weeks this year before I killed a deer. But people think when they watch an outdoor channel show that, oh, well, he, you know. He got there and he, got he, off the plane and it was done. He shot a deer in, in, in a total of 20 minutes, you know. So, it, it you know, that, that uh, you know, but be, now being able to tell the, the, the full picture of going on some of these hunts when you're in Montana for 14 days like Dad was this year before he killed his deer, man, we put in a lot of time and effort, you know. And, like, I was always uh, self-aware of people thinking that it comes easy. And sometimes you get really lucky and it does come easy. I mean, we – we hunt almost every single day, so you're going to be blessed and, and have times where it all works out and comes together. But uh, there are also a lot of times that it doesn't. And I, I want to show the bad, the bad, yeah, too, and, sure. and, and, and the misses. I'm not embarrassed by that. You really? know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you want people to be able to relate. I mean, people miss. People make a bad shot or make a bad call on where to hang a stand. Man, I, I don't – I'm not embarrassed by that stuff, you know. Yeah. Okay, how could you be? I mean – I think that I think that that in a way made Waddy uh, it did real too is because he he was able to show people that you got to be a sponge and learn something on the hunt first of all but second of all he was always happy now yeah. that can be misconstrued too because there are times I ain't gonna lie about it Michael sucks. Waddell Michael Waddell gets down you get down I get yeah. down I'm like man it's been cloudy nine days in a row I need sunshine I'm hunting the timber in Arkansas and then I'm like <clears throat> wait a minute I'm literally like I'm living the life that I dream of that a lot of people yeah. would probably want. And so I've, I've matured, you know, probably later than you have, but I'm just like every day I'm like, we're going to get work done. And, and, and Pete, and that's what you're talking about is that now you get to show that on this digital platform of 365 and not, and give people the insight that is that they need to see that, Hey man, we're just the duck hunter. We're not just showing up when the skies are blue and we get parachuted yeah. in there from a helicopter because, yeah. because you know, we got, you know, we're, we're able to do it just when the conditions are right. I, we struggle for many, many days. Not it's raining. We can't go out. It's a big investment to have camera crews there and production crews and all the equipment. You can't take it out in the rain and risk it all of the time. So there's a lot of days where as a production company and you being followed around with cameras, yeah. we get down too. It, it, there's struggles in it. Yeah. That's where the digital thing has been good for us too. I mean, you know, people kind of see my little brother, that's all he watches is digital shows. He's a big, he loves fishing. And uh, so he follows, you know, Jacob Wheeler, who's on our Realtree Fishing Pro staff. And he watches a lot of the 365 stuff. But, um, you know, for these kids coming up, it's, it's important for them to realize that it doesn't all come easy. You know, it's important for them to know that there's going to be struggle behind it. So I think that's what's, uh, you know. Wait, that's, a, that's a great point right there because now that's different than just showing that, hey, we don't want you to think that we get to hunt just anytime we want or only right. on the good days. What you just said is the most important part because now you're giving them, the you're teaching the next generation of hunters that, hey, don't think that just because you watch a 22-minute episode with six and a half minutes of commercial and a big 140 or 50 died, right. there are going to be times where you only get to see 118s to 125s. There are going to be times where... 
you don't get to hunt or things go wrong with the equipment or the tree stands not whatever yeah weather's bad weather's bad i mean it's uh you know there's so many different factors that go into hunting so i, I love showing the full picture of something and it just I, I think it translates well uh you know for the viewer and it's why that stuff has become so popular over the years you know the hunting public guys that's why i think they've been so successful is because man they they show uh they show everything you know you, they may not kill a you may not kill a deer or a turkey or whatever it is for two weeks on some of these shows, but people love that. Like we do, we've done a lot of those live hunts from uh, from Georgia on the turkey stuff, and we're, we plan on doing a lot this year. So y'all be sure to check that out on Facebook. But we've yet to kill a turkey on there. But by the end of it, the comments are so positive. You know, I think if we killed a turkey every time, people would be like, "Oh yeah, they're real tree. That's what happens every time." No, guys, no, high, fence, high fence turkeys. High, high fence turkeys. You know, they expect for us to go out there and get it done, but it's it's fun for people to watch the good and bad you know we may may make a bad call on a setup or something on a bird you know when he's coming in but okay you got to see it i mean yeah we, we screw up too i mean all the time so how how do you motivate yourself now when is it easy for you to leave home and stay on the road for 45 days is it something because to me it's not easy it's not now i have yeah. a daughter yeah which makes it way harder that is hard. you'll be there someday yeah your dad was on the road all the time when you yeah. guys were kids. It's it's a sacrifice. How do you look at that for your future? Are you yeah. trying to get all you can in now so you know there's going to be a slowdown? You just got engaged. Yeah. Things change. Life changes. Life evolves. Is it a worry of yours because you're so accustomed to going and freaking just making sure I'm on the hunt? 45 days in a row, Jordan? Are you serious? <laughs> Nobody gets to do that. I know. You're blessed. It, it, so are you scared that that's going to have to slow down a little bit? Yeah, it's a little bit of a worry, I guess, you know, but like I know my dad, my dad coming up, one, he had a television show. Secondly, he was starting a business. And so dad was gone a lot from stuff that I did growing up. You know, I had a lot of soccer games and baseball games that my dad didn't come to. Did that affect you? You know what? No. I, I, well, I, mom said I never really... I don't think it did. I don't think it did. I, n I never remember thinking about it like that, Dad. But when you're in the when you're yeah. on the field and you look up in the stands and you see Joey and Jason and Mark and all their dads up there and they're yeah. the coaches and all that, it, it's funny because now your dad's going into his seventies and he's a t-ball coach this That's, last year, yeah, I know. which is awesome. Yeah. Did it bug you? You think as a kid that that you were like, man, where's Dad? Well, he's out making sure that you and the family are taken care of, and I want to make sure that people know. There's a lot of, of misconception that, oh, man, that's selfishness to be away. No. no. If you're building a brand and supplying for your family and providing, that's what you got to do. You know, when my dad had no choice. No choice. He had to go do it, man. He was he was literally in those days, he was fighting for his life and for his future to where we can be sitting here right now. Well, tell ever him. So tell, many I mean, years your, dad, later. your dad, did, there were struggles in Realtree. There was times where your dad didn't think he was well, going to make it. My dad didn't make much. So, so he, this is crazy. My dad started in 86. He didn't make money until about 92, 93. Yeah, six, he seven didn't years. turn a profit until then. And so when people hear that, they'd probably be like, oh, crap, you know. But that's just that's just how it was. You know what I mean, else that means? That means Bill's probably not taking a paycheck. That yeah, means no, that, he, he didn't for a long time. Because I mean, his employees had to be taken care of first. The first three years, Dad was working in an abandoned church. And so he didn't have, they had no internet, nothing. They were packaging, you know, Realtree products and everything. But... Um, you know, that's, you know, for, I guess it is a little bit of a, 
Uh, it's a little bit of a concern. The good thing is my fiance, she's been great so far. She understands this lifestyle. She's been through three hunting seasons of deer hunting seasons so far. Did you put that number so she, on there? I'm going to give her three seasons. <laughs> if she lasts three seasons, the ring's going Man, on. I was definitely thinking about it, but it was a good test. Though, what kind know? of guy is your dad, Tyler? What kind of, is he a sweet man? Does he have a soul and a care to where he, or is he just this brash guy that nobody can approach? Is he like, he is like the godfather of the hunting industry. When you see Bill Jordan walking around, I still today get intimidated. I remember my, really? first, I remember my first meeting when I was Same. at the real tree booth that shot eight <laughs> years ago when banded, when we were starting banded and he walks into the office out of nowhere. I, he wasn't supposed to be in the meeting and he walked in. I went, Oh God. Okay. No. Oh, I swear on my life. He, I tell that story all the time. And I was like, so what kind of guy is he? Is he sweet? Is he caring? Is he just like one guy that'll put his granddaughter in his lap and hold on to her? Oh, yeah. His, what kind of guy is he? He's the nicest guy. I mean, he is. He's a good father, too. And I think that's why I might, you know, you, like you said, growing up for me, you know, not having my dad there, maybe it being frustrating. But my dad was calling and checking in after every game or important event in my life if he wasn't there. And he, when he could be home, even if it was just for a day, he would be home. And so he cares a lot about his people too at the office, and he's just such a, a caring and loving person, to where he literally wants the best for everyone, you know. Um, but it's funny hearing you say that. I think you know, my my, my friends and I would laugh because he's he's the least intimidating person you'd ever meet. I mean, everybody at the baseball field, they love when he comes up there because my dad puts in a lot of time. At seventy years old, puts in a lot of time and work up there, you know, raking the fields after a ball game. Or getting there early to make sure the lines and everything are going down first base and third base. So I mean, that's just the kind of person he is. He's just a, and that's what you know has made him who he is. He just he's a hard worker though too. You know, he's put in a lot of time in this industry. He's given a lot to it, and uh, so I'm proud of him. How disciplined was he as a father? Meaning. There was a time where there was a commercial of Real Tree where you and your buddy would all what you would hit the woods yeah. before the bell rang. That was Johnny. That was Johnny. Yeah, John, Johnny was in the commercial. Yeah, was was it easy to get Dad to let you stay out of school, or was Dad disciplined like you need to get your grades, or was there a lot of hooky play because there, he knew that you had to get in the woods? There was a lot of hooky play. There was a lot of hooky play. Johnny and I both. Cut. Uh, you went, looking for a donut? <laughs> Hey, Johnny, eat these donut holes right here. There, there's donut holes here, bro. If you don't grab that box, man. Uh, look at Johnny some, come in here. He's got a sweet. He's like, team. man, we'll do some munchkins, some duck he, and deep. But, but no, he was. Uh, no, he was. Uh, you know, he he always made it a, a point to to be a part of you know everything I did in my life, and so. Um, and so that was easy for say, Dad. I want to go in the morning. I got all my homework yeah. done. If I'm there by lunch, we're cool. He was always good with that. He always tried to beg my mom. Like I, when I killed my first turkey, and probably many deer and turkeys too. He was. I mean, I missed the half first half morning of school. Dad did everything he could to go get a bird roosted, you know, for my first bird, and uh, we went out there and got it done. But um, he always. I, I, I probably missed more school than most kids, you know, whether it be just taking the first couple hours hunting with him in the morning. But man. Looking back on it now, because I'm, I'm now I'm kind of hunting a lot by myself. I would not have traded traded that. Here's for the how world. I look at it, Tyler Jordan: is that yes, he sacrificed. Yes, he might not have been at every recital. Or I know that you played the French horn in the in the in the high school band. He might have missed some. <laughs> he, he might not have been there for everything. But look at now. Check this out. Yeah. You're in the pit at NASCAR. You go to the SEC championship game. 
bragging on you guys. You deserve everything that you get to experience in life. And it's all with your dad. You get to go hunting with your dad. You get to go to Montana with your dad. You get to go hunt turkeys on the family farm with your, with your little brothers and sisters because of your dad and his sacrifices. You get to enjoy this lifestyle because of that sacrifice, because he was willing to take it on. And there's not a lot of people that have the wherewithal to get out there and keep going, especially at six, seven years, then you're struggling Working out of an abandoned church, not turning a profit. It's kind of like the Fred and Michelle Eichler story about Michelle's family and how yeah. that all happened with, with, with the bow companies. But the archery companies, if you think about the sacrifice, the way that I look at it, I'm like, kudos to Bill Jordan and what he gets to do with his kids. Because now I'm 45. My dad died when I was 30. I've been without my dad since I was your age, a little bit older than you. So I look at it like, in, not envious, I don't get jealous of you. I love that you guys get to do it. But I think it's unbelievable for a person at 27 to be able to spend that much time with his dad. And you, don't, you can't take it for granted because it ain't going to be forever. But look at all the memories that you have and all the video documentation that you have of what went on between Tyler Jordan and Bill Jordan. Because Bill Jordan said, I got to do this. I'm rolling. I'll call tonight and I'll say hello. Think about it that way to where now you live this blessed life and... and, and, and all of those sacrifices are paying off, not just for Bill, it, his whole family gets to enjoy this with him. And to me, that's everything. And all of the things that he's able to give back to the military and all of the charities and everything that you guys do to provide an opportunity for people, not just to hunt, but to work in the hunting industry, to, to go to events, to be part of live events, to be, there's so much things that, that are going on within the Realtree umbrella. And your dad is welcoming and inviting to all of these different people that make that Realtree family up. If he would have stayed in Georgia in 86, 87, 88, 89, 90, none of this stuff would be going on. I promise you that. Cause he couldn't do it from there. No. He might've been able to get on there and make the pattern, Yeah, but he wasn't going to get it to where it is today without sacrifice. And now you guys are closer than ever because of that sacrifice. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I, I didn't, it, being that young, it's between the ages of six and maybe 13, you know, I didn't realize how much my dad was really sacrificing, but he gave a lot. He gave a lot of himself. He gave a lot, gave a lot of his time growing this television show, growing his business and, you know, just trying to find his way. And my dad was trying to find his way. You know, he, it was such, it was so rocky there. He didn't turn a profit until 92. You know, those, those, even when he was making money, it was very rocky, even still. There was competition every year. He'd come to the SHOT Show or ATA or NWTF. There were camo companies everywhere. They were all around him. Somehow we've been able to stand the test of time. And, you know, whenever I see the videos of, you know, me and my dad now, you know, when we first, when we shared those memories in the turkey woods together back in Georgia, man, I, I tear up. There are a lot How of videos. There's a, there's a lot of videos I can't watch uh, without crying just because, uh, it's just it's it's special um yeah but think about the fact are you tearing up right now yeah well think about the fact that when it can't happen no more and that's what i look at yeah. is like god bless the days that you get now because of the sacrifice you made that's the way i looked at your dad the whole way that's why he's so intimidating me is because i wanted to be that guy that had that built something like he built and i look at you and i and i think it's very easy and you might and you might take this the wrong way I think it's very easy for somebody that doesn't know you to think, oh, man, he just had the whole world handed to him. Yeah. And that's bullshit. I don't like that. And, yeah. and, and I have looked at like, well, what do you expect? His dad worked his butt off for all of these years 
And Tyler is infatuated with his old man. He's in love with his old man. He yeah. is inspired by his old man. He's his hero. Do you not think he's not going to want to follow in his footsteps? I would have been there every step of the way. When my dad was alive, we went hunting all the time, fishing all the time. God bless the days that I got to be in the field with him. I have pictures on my living room wall of our last Canada goose hunt. In the fog, my dad was so excited. His gun was up before anybody's because he's like, oh, they're coming. And I just remember it vividly because of the outdoors and hunting. What do you expect Tyler Jordan not to get emotional about with what you have been afforded to do? And now you're working your butt off because people can't go on the road for 45 days and not work their butt off. That's work. And you, the hunting, the filming, the late nights, the early mornings, the watching it and rewinding it, making sure that it's there, the cutaways, the B-roll, setting it up, the logistics. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And I'm just like, thank God you get to go back and look at all of this stuff with you and your old man. When you're sitting there with your fiance, soon to be your wife and your guys' kids, and you're like, that's who grandpa is. That's who grandpa is. And that's not just who he was. That's who you guys are. That to me is everything. And I think that that's why Realtree is so important. And I think why the underlying factor of family, the friends and the outdoors is because your dad always wanted his family to be taken care of. And look, yeah. at, look at how taken care of they are now. Well, and then, uh, you know, he's been able to work his butt off, but now he's able to go do things with those kids. He didn't always get to go do with me. You know, he's been able to make that up times 10 or more with my little brother Colton and sister Grayson. He's coaching both of their teams. And he's so he's overly involved with them where he wasn't with me. But but then again, you know, for me, it's like he really made it up on the back end, though, too. But, you know, whenever dad could take me turkey hunting, you know, he had good turkey hunting back in Georgia. So he didn't have to travel during the spring a whole lot. He did for business, but for hunting, he was able to stay home. So well, I'll know, tell you something right now, Tyler, that your dad doesn't have to be at those t-ball games. He doesn't have to be coaching and no, putting the chalk down the line. Not at 70. He could be going and doing whatever he wants. He could be hunting in Argentina whenever he wants, but he's in little rural Georgia chalking a first baseline for a nine-year-old to run down. Yeah. And that's a big deal. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. So to me, it's all the way that you look at things, and perception is a big part of it. And the way that people could perceive that is like, Oh, yeah, they get to do whatever they want, but they don't understand, man, the dedication and sacrifice that Bill Jordan did. And I think that that's why it's it's I don't know if there's a more successful brand over the next. I'm not saying that it's the most revenue driven. brand. I don't know that that's your guys' business, <laughs> but I do know that it's everywhere. Yeah. And it's on a motorcycle now. It's on a snowboard now. It's on a phone cover case now. I mean, it's everywhere. Think about what your dad built. Yeah, my dad works, though, like it could all be taken away tomorrow. You know, that's something that I love about him, and that's it's taught me a lot because I watch how he interacts with people and just what he thinks. And, uh, you know, he's he's made it. I would say by, by every means he's exceeded his, his expectations of what Realtree has become. But, um, you know, what I love about it is that uh, Dad has always told me, he says, I, you know, every, watch how you always treat people because it can all be taken away tomorrow. You know, you just – you can't ever – don't ever expect anything. And that's something I've always taken with me. I hope that when people meet myself or my dad, that if Realtree was gone tomorrow, we'd be the same people. I still love to do what I, I do I every would single hire, day. I would hire you both. <laughs> <laughs> but I still love you know, what I do every day. I would, I would do it with or without. Um, I just love the outdoors and just love what we do. We're just blessed to do it and got a good family. Where are you going from here? Um, I'll go home for a little bit and then, uh, and then I'll go turkey hunting, uh, probably back in Mississippi. I'm taking, um, 
our athletic director at Ole Miss, his son is a big hunter, Drew. I went hunting with them last year, so I'm going to take them opening weekend on Youth Day. And uh, and then Alabama season opens up the next weekend. So I'll be I'll be any, any races in between woods. here and there. Daytona's tomorrow. Dad's actually trying to decide if he wants to wake up early and go in the morning. So he, I don't know if you remember, but two years ago, I was with you and we stayed. We were at the whiskey bent party. You know, real tree host a party with with Bandit and, and Foul Life. And uh, two years ago, we stayed out and so. Dad picked me up at the airport at 6 a.m. And this was after we'd been out a little while, hanging out with every everyone. Picked me up at 6 a.m. And I, I honestly didn't want to go. I almost to, told Dad, just go to Daytona, you know, leave me. Uh, it been a long weekend here. Well, luckily I went because Austin Dillon, who we sponsor, won the Daytona 500. And so we've, we've been involved in NASCAR for a long time. But And Austin's been a good friend. So I'm glad that uh, I, I decided to make that trip. It was well worth it. It was good stuff. And you got to go with Bill. I, and I got to go with Dad and my little brother. And your little brother. That's my so little brother cool, got to go to school. He now, do you enjoy so. NASCAR or do you just man. fake it because you're a redneck? I love NASCAR. Do you really? I do. And my dad, and that's why we're in NASCAR. My dad is obsessed with NASCAR. And I, I, the best relationships that we've had, uh, like Chevrolet, that relationship wouldn't have happened without NASCAR. But besides that, though, I just love all the people that are in that sport. A lot of the drivers are good friends of ours. A lot of them are big hunters. Kevin Harvick, Austin Dillon, Clint Boyer, Ryan Newman, Tony Stewart, all those guys. It's just like we talked about earlier with all these, you know, country music artists and baseball players. Those guys love to hunt, too. And so it's just uh, you you share a common interest. It's been a good marketing resource for us, too. But I follow the sport every, every week during the season. I love it. You know, and, and it, it, I think it, it helps too when you have friends that are involved in it. Oh, yeah. Obviously, you know, when dad lost Dell, that was the most emotional I've ever seen my dad on anything, losing anyone. Um, my dad was not the same person for months after that. And, uh, you know, I think it even drew me closer to the sport after that happened too, you know, especially with Austin and that family, you know, us being so close, you know, I was very, I felt very interconnected with with that whole deal that happened. So um, the sport's been good to us, and uh, we've had a lot of good relationships along the way throughout the years with it. I wonder if your dad ever thought he would have his pattern on a freaking NASCAR when he sat down and drew it. Well, I know he wanted to. You know, I, I mean, he, he followed the sport even before Realtree, too. He loved it. His dad was He a probably big, had visions of a car just wrapped in it flying around the track. Man, yeah. he – and it's just uh, – he just likes it. He just likes the sport. We don't spend a whole lot of money in like sports stuff like that or country music. But my dad is just obsessed with that with that whole deal, which I which I get it. He just Richard Childress is his best friend. You know, that's one of his best buddies. So that's why you know we've been so close to it for a long time. That's awesome. Do you do you see Realtree evolving? into what's going on in the hunting industry right now then and and what i mean by that is that there's a big push of mentorship there's a big yeah. push to get new people involved new women involved yeah you're all about it you guys are ready for it you're have you ever been more dedicated and more fired up to move on with this career and see what's going to happen with the real tree brand yeah you know i'm so excited you know I, like i said the last couple of years being more entrenched with the company every day I couldn't be more excited. I think there's a lot of opportunity for us out there to uh, to get kids. I think the biggest thing for this whole industry, not just Realtree, but I think we all have a, a shared responsibility in it. We always talk about it, but we got to actually do something about it when it comes to recruiting different kids and getting them in this sport and getting them involved. 
you know, something that's a little bit alarming for me is like growing up, Colton and I, my little brother, we went to the same school. He's 11. I always, I graduated with a class of 72 kids. And so I, I had about 20 kids in my, in my uh, class that were hunters. So whether they be, uh, you know, fisher, fishermen, duck hunters, deer hunters, but they had a passion for the outdoors. My little brother only has like one or two other friends that love to hunt and fish. Isn't that crazy? That's alarming. Because no mentorship. No, men no mentorship. There's also a, a loss of uh, land for some of these kids to go hunt. Their, their parents just, just don't have, you know, places to go, you know, take their kids. And so um, that's, that's not good. No. No, we have to do a, we have to do a better job of trying to find different ways uh, to get kids involved. And, um, you know, we always talk about it, but there's just we gotta we gotta have some action put behind it. You know, and do it. And you're and you're, and you're gonna be part of that. That's gonna be partly put on your shoulders at yeah. the age well, you're out to, well, to well, get after it. Do you know that's what we? I know. I'm sure Drew Keith has shared a lot with you on this, and I, I think it's important. But you know, how do we get involved with programs? You know, and the National Wild Turkey Federation does a good job of this, but like 4-H and stuff, and organizations like that. They have six and a half million kids. Well, that's your future. That's your future. How do you get entrenched with those kids? They're going to be a Realtree customer for the rest of their life, but more importantly, they're going to be a hunter and a uh, you know a conservationist and being able to get those kids involved, teaching them how to shoot a bow, shoot a gun, fish, hunt. Uh, that's that's where our future lies. And then, so then what does that do? That, they're going to be a mentor to the next generation. To their kids. Because you guys are doing this with them right now. Yeah. It's just, uh, but the loss of land is something else we, you know, it's uh, it's something we can't outrun. You know, dad passes by a bunch of different farms in Georgia all the time. He's like, oh, I used to hunt there growing up. Public land. Oh, I used to hunt there. And there'd be shopping centers and buildings going up in hotels. And that's sad. You know, it, it's sad. That's our future. They're, you know, I, I, what I hope doesn't happen is that the sport doesn't become a sport just for the rich. Can't, you know, you know, it, hunting, deer hunting. I, I, I worry that it's going to be, it's going to be. Uh, you, you, you don't deer hunt unless you own two thousand acres. You can't, you know, can't get to that. I, I hope it doesn't. You know, that's, but that's where we have a, we. That, that's on us. That's on us. That's, that's on companies like Realtree. I, I feel that responsibility a lot, you know, and I get to see it every day through my brother and sister right now, where their interests are, and you know, uh, you know, they've they've been driven toward different ways of whether it be sports and uh, other stuff going on. But when your friends don't do it, that makes it tough. Very tough. When your friends don't do it, and you don't you can't go to school and have the shared uh, experience, you know, experience, and you can't talk it with them. You probably aren't going to do it for much longer. No. You know, Colton and Grayson were born in a hunting family. Well, what about the kids that aren't? If they don't have anybody to go to school with and talk to them, probably not going to do it. You know? That's so where I'm at with it, too. I saw it last week on the youth hunt that you saw with my daughter kill her first duck. And to see the kids that did not have parents that hunted and we got to bring some of them out there. Yeah. It was everything to them. And they're hooked. Yeah. They're literally hooked. They want to get into it. They want waders. They want a duck call. They want. They love the boat ride. They love the four-wheeler rides. There's so much more that goes into the hunt. Yeah. They love the barbecue and the Traeger and the dinners and the, the, the duck camp life. And that all of that wrapped into it, they're like, I can't wait to go again. Yeah, you know, and my little brother, uh, This you'll find this funny, but whenever he saw me going, he's never duck hunted. 
But whenever I went down the honey break, I, w- I was there quite a bit this year. You know, we're so happy about that relationship. It's been a good partnership We're going to bring so Drew far. Keith on here in a minute. Oh, good. We'll talk for a second. So uh, my little brother told me, he said, he wants a duck hunt so bad. He, he told me, he said, take all my Christmas presents back. He said, if you can just get me some waiters seven. and a shotgun and take me to Honey Break, that's all I want for Christmas. Three, seven, Isn't that funny? That's all it that's that's all, that's all will take, too. And then the next thing you know is he's just gets in his blood and he's, he's hooked. He's but never going to quit. I think that's where millennials and the younger generations, though, I think uh, deer hunting has its challenges. But the duck hunter and the turkey hunter, I think that's where our future is really going to succeed. I see, you know, going into places like a Max Prairie Wings or or Simmons Sporting Goods, and you see kids. I see a lot of kids come through here. I know you see it too. But I I remember I I, I duck, you know, I uh, hunted on public land here the last couple years for duck hunting. But when I see kids showing up at four o'clock in the morning, you know, seven or eight of them to go fight for a place to go hunt, that's freaking cool to me. Thank you. And do you have, do you have, the desire to make that transition, Tyler Jordan, into being a full-blooded duck hunter? Dude, now? I like duck. Okay, here's the deal, though. <laughs> I need help blowing a duck call. Oh, I know somebody that can help you. This guy right behind I, me, my partner Chris, he's really good. Are you? Yeah, I, I need y'all to help me. I know. I've, I when you go with people like a Drew or go with you or something, I'm like, I'm just gonna let these guys do the do work. Do you ever you find know? yourself you're in the duck blind and they fly by? Do you ever just out yeah. of out of just naturality, you just go. <laughs> no, because I'm sitting next to Drew Keith. He'll hit me. <laughs> oh, they didn't stop. <laughs> That's what you do to white though, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> what is that called? That bleat? <laughs> no, just a, just a grunt. That's a grunt. <laughs> and then what's the bleat? I can't do a bleat with my mouth. I'm not, not even gonna try. Yeah, I gotta have a call. You gotta have a call. Man, I love it, man. I want to do another one of these down, Georgia. I want to come to the HQ. Why don't you? I do. I need to come down there. Maybe, maybe. Why I'll, don't you come this spring? Maybe I'll just find find the time to tie it in with a turkey. Why hunt. don't you come this spring? You want? You know what? Drew's actually coming. He's coming for a turkey hunt this spring on the farm. So why don't we try to tie it in with one of one of those? Do another podcast down there and hang out. I've enjoyed this. Did you? I got a question for you though, because yeah. I want to. I want to. I want to get your opinion on this. I'm not a duck hunter. I'm not a, I mean, I like duck hunting, but I would not call myself a, a full-blown duck hunter, although I've really enjoyed it. You know, I didn't start duck hunting until I got to Ole Miss. Because growing up in Georgia, we don't have a lot you of places. Can't, you can't go to Ole Miss and not duck hunt. It's not the same thing. No. No, uh, but, you know, when I got to Ole Miss, though, and it's a religion out there, just oh, like college football is. Dude, people live it out there. People wear their, you know, real tree to, to school all the time, all their the Max time. 5 or whatever it is. And so um, – so the future duck hunting. So where do you think, because I've heard so many different opinions on this, but when I go and I talk to people that come through Max, where, you know, where are the numbers at for ducks? You know, where, where, where do you, where do you think they are? I hear a lot of people, it's the, some of these wildlife refuges that are maybe, you know, keeping all these ducks, these ducks are getting smart. They're imprinting, they're going to the same spot. There have been some outfitters around there that have kind of, complained a little bit that the they say the numbers are not down that you know these ducks are just they're finding they're finding holes to go to and they're they're protected and uh you know that's where the numbers are kind of being reported that maybe they're not where they where they should be when really the number of ducks is fine yeah you know, I, what, I think what's your opinion the two things that i always look at in it is this is that I truly believe that the migratory routes can be altered and manipulated. And I think that they have been through the success of the corn and the farming for corn and the ethanol and fuel 
And I think that if a duck has open water yeah. in a cornfield, he's not leaving. They were shooting mallards, limits of mallards, several man limits of mallards in western North Dakota and eastern Montana this year, almost right at Christmas. If you think about that, what in the heck is a duck doing in North Dakota almost in January, right? To where there is no reason why that duck shouldn't be down the flyway and into you know, the Kansases and down into Oklahoma or a little bit east of there into the Grand Prairie of Arkansas. So I really think that the flyways are manipulated by corn growth. I think that that's number one, Tyler Jordan, is that there is something to say about that. Then on top of that, you have imprinting going on through the use of flooded corn. Now, flooded corn and aerators and everything that can be done to manipulate corn to keep it open, that's a huge source of carbohydrates and food and diet for the ducks. So there's another one. Then lastly... I think it goes back to what you just talked about with land being bought up and leased up. And I saw it happen in Oklahoma. Oklahoma was never known as a hotbed of duck hunting. There was a couple videography crews that went there 10, 15 years ago. And all of a sudden people are like, there's ducks in Oklahoma. Well, ducks been going there forever. They love to eat peanuts. There's a lot of peanuts there. There's corn down there. It's right south of Kansas, the Arkansas River. And it's just west of Arkansas. And not really the duck country of Arkansas, but not far from it. Four hour drive from the Grand Prairie. I think that once people see that, and then I think big oil money from Texas and all over the oil fields when that money started exploding, I honestly think that people go into these areas and they start leasing the land where people used to be able to hunt. And I, there's nothing wrong with that. That's I'm not saying that you, if you make a good living, don't go do what you want with your money. It made it, the pressure. Arkansas is the same way now. Arkansas, everybody's like, oh, the ducks go to Arkansas. It's the mallard capital world, duck capital world. Well, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to lease some land, and I'm going to put pits all over it, and we're going to start an outfitter service, or we're going to start a private duck club. One, it manipulates the, the, the way that ducks act because now it gives them more places to go because they're growing food for the ducks. And two, it's bringing all this new pressure to Arkansas that before it wasn't there to where – Arkansas has always been a destination for the duck hunter, but now they're not just flying in and hunting for three days. They're going there and leasing up all of the land and then traveling to it because they think that that's where they need to be. So it's put it added pressure on the ducks of Arkansas. So what does that do? It disperses the ducks out. They might go across the river into Mississippi. They might go to Oklahoma, which a lot of those ducks have went west. And I think it's because the amount of pressure that's being put on them to where now, I think there's like 37 waterfowl outfitters in the state of Oklahoma. 10 years ago, there was two. Yeah. So I just think that the, all of that mixed together is going to naturally make ducks do something else. But it, even if they get down to Arkansas, which I don't think a lot of them even get down there anymore because of the amount of corn that's above them and the amount of open flooded corn. So, But can we can we do something about it? But can we I do, think but, you can, but it's a long conversation and you've got to have the right people at the table. You okay. just got it because it's, it's money. If yeah. you got money, it's money. But these WMAs, though, and all and all those different places, there, is there a way? Would it be beneficial if we were to kind of rotate some of these farms, like every couple of years, and go hunt some of these places where they're where they're imprinting and and feel like they're they're safe and out of harm's way? Would it would it help? You're talking about the federal land. And the, yeah, and the I'm talking about some of the. Would it, what, is that even a possibility? I I think that. I think that natu- natural that I think ducks are going to eat WMAs. They're not WMAs. You're talking about a, a WMA is a place where a guy could go in and hunt a wildlife management area, but a, a, a refuge. Refuge. That's if it's a refuge, they're going to get the, they're going to get the food out of there. I think that resting areas are huge, but I'm not arguing. It might not be a bad idea to mix it up every few years to where they don't get so relaxed so, yeah. going in there and staying there because you take the wild out of them. They're wild. They're if they're not being messed with. 
of course they're they're wild. That's safe to them. They're not going to do anything. But if you go in there and mix it up and making sure that they know that hey, th- that might not be such a safe haven all the time. Yeah, it might work. I don't know if I I don't know if I've studied the refuge system. Ten years ago, that was a huge argument. Do you yeah. and, and refuges and all these guys have way too much land tied up? I believe in resting areas. But I honestly think that the that the flyways are being manipulated through okay. farming techniques. And here's another thing: is that is that ducks ducks are trying to stay in places where five years ago they could stay there and depend on a bunch of food. And I think that that moves them around too, because now with the technology and farming equipment, it's hard to find a kernel of corn on some of these farmers' grounds because they're so tidied up with the way they get their corn harvested. So if you think about that, these ducks are used to going to this part of the country. Now they got to move over to this part of the country because maybe the farming techniques are a little bit sloppier over here. Right. So there's so many factors that I often think about because there's a thing in Arkansas, where are the ducks? That's what people are saying. Yeah. There's a, lo- a big initiative that's going to kick off. Of we got to figure out how to get the mallards back in Arkansas because I have a feel that duck numbers are down down there. And a lot of it is... Everybody said that. A I lot- mean, I, lo- I went in a lot of different... That was the complaint. That everybody feels like the numbers are down when I was there this year. The, the so. number of mallards in the flyways are still there coming off the breeding grounds. It's where are they and why aren't they leaving those areas and why aren't they going to Arkansas the way that they used to? I don't know. Did you guys put so much pressure on them over the last 20 years that they don't want to go there anymore? Are they getting that smart? Well, yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's, ducks, in, there's ducks in Bismarck, North Dakota in January. And they're not on their way back up to the breeding grounds. They've never right. left. Huh. So I don't know. You know how many duck hunters are around North Dakota in the western part of it? Not many. You know how many are in eastern Montana? Even less. Yeah. Not many people that are even going to hear this podcast are going to go, hey, I'm going to go to Montana and hunt a duck. <laughs> what are they going to go there for? A whitetail, white a mule deer, an elk? It's just one of those things that where things have been changed. And, and the way that I look at it is that, you either evolve with it or you get involved with what you're talking about and you try to make some changes to it. And there's a lot of talk right now that people are going to try to make those changes and they think that it'll help the ducks get back into the areas that they were so accustomed to seeing them. Well, I hope so. I know. This, it was, is, a, this is a bigger conversation yeah, I, and, that we got to have again, no background noise. I'm not that educated uh, enough to even speak on it. I just know that some people... It was funny they, they you know they knew you and I were were uh, were down they had seen us there a couple of years ago when you and I were hunting together to come through Max mm-hmm. and I had I was there hunting several different places but they were asking me um, if there's anything that I could do about this issue and I said I, you know I'm not I don't even know what they're really talking about I mean I kind of understand but you know I said I, that's when I sent you that message on Instagram I said I'm gonna ask somebody that actually knows but then uh, you know hunting with some different people down there. It's obviously uh, something that needs to be discussed because everybody's concerned. Let's, let's concerned. figure out some spring dates. And I got I got two guys that I would like to have in that discussion that literally okay. just sent me an email that they want to sit down. I'll introduce you to one of them today. Okay. But I think it's something worth talking about. I really do. And I think it'd be cool to be on the forefront of that initiative. And it's not just us talking about it. It's not like we're the ones sitting here saying, oh, there's a brother. A lot of people are saying it. A lot it. of people are saying it. I, I'll look at some dates. Me and you'll figure out. I'd love to I'd love to just be in the turkey woods with yeah, you and see how you fun. guys do it. See how you guys do it. We'll drive Come down on. and have dinner with Waddy. That's get, right. Him and his fa- crazy family. I'm a new, um, we'll figure out a couple duck hunts. Maybe get Austin dealing on one. We threatened to do it last year. Let's try to get Austin. You need to go back there to hunting break too. Oh, we're going to hunting break. Let's get, let's get Drew in here. Talk to him for 15 minutes about this relationship with Real okay. Tree and Honey Break. Tyler Jordan, I appreciate it. 
I appreciate you being here, and oh, thank I look you. forward to many more years with Real Tree Family. Chad, we, we we love you and appreciate everything too, and, and and more importantly, thanks for your friendship. Yes, sir. You've been thank uh, you for years. you've been super loyal to, to us over the years, and we we appreciate it. You yes, know sir. That, I can't so. wait for more. It's uh, the future's bright. Appreciate you got you, a man. lot. Hey, fun a lot of tonight with coming. Brent Cobb, another Georgia boy. Yeah, that's right. He can handle. I can't then, wait for it. I love. Here in Leith, Leith Lofton's going to jam too. Him and him and Brent have written several songs together. Yeah, they really. They're going to do one tonight called uh, "She's from the Country," and it's nobody's new. nobody's ever heard it. I had Leith in a lodge in Kansas in two thousand eight or nine, and he did this at the counter in this lodge. And I looked at him and I went, "Why is that song not on the radio?" He goes, "Well, Haas, he's saying the same stuff to me today. You know, Haas, you just you know, I just haven't got it out there yet." <laughs> I said that song he's and him and Brent Cobb wrote that with the late great Wayne Mills, who passed away of a murder here on Broadway three or four years ago, got shot in the back of the head because of a scuffle in the bar. Wayne Mills was the yeah. man here. And he was opening he Jamie Johnson was opening for him. I mean, he was on the way. Right right when he got killed, he was putting out a CD. You know what the name of that CD is? He named it? The Last Honky Tonk. Oh man. And then he got killed in the honky tonk. In Nashville from a bullet and him Brent Cobb and Leith and all these guys were best friends with him and they were they had just written wow. this song together right before he died he uh, he you got just get just do yourself a favor and buy you can't you can't download it unless you buy it which I love that but buy Wayne Mills the last honky-tonk and listen to track to track to track and you're just gonna be mesmerized by okay. real country music it's awesome. I'm glad you told me that. All right, we're gonna I'll get go on with Drew. Up. We're gonna get on with Drew Keith, the okay. president and CEO of Honey Break, a new partner of yours. I'm gonna shut this one down. That's been another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. The great Tyler Jordan, son of the great Bill Jordan from the great Real Tree family. Again, I'm humbled to be part of that family for so many years, and I can't wait for the future. Tom, hit that button. This song was written by our good friends Drake White and Leith Lofton. It's called What You Gonna Do When the Money's All Gone. Thank you all very much. Life on earth won't last that long. What you gonna do when the money's all gone? Say life on earth won't last that long. What you gonna do when the money's all gone?